0: Today on Musically Speaking, I'll be chatting with composer and pianist Karen Walwyn, who is an expert on the life and music of Florence Price. We'll discuss the relevance and beauty of Price's music and get to know Karen through her research and musicianship. Dr. Walwyn joined us in the KVCR studio while in town for rehearsals with the San Bernardino Symphony. We talked in-depth about the Florence Price Concerto in One Movement, which she recently performed with the orchestra. We'll be playing clips of the concerto throughout the show, and I cannot wait for you all to fall in love with the piece as much as I have. I'm Margaret Worsley. Stay with us for Musically Speaking. Listening to Musically Speaking on 919 KVCR. My name is Margaret Worsley and I'm Associate Professor of Music at San Bernardino Valley College, talking today with Karen Walwyn, pianist, composer, professor, and an expert on the life and music of Florence Price. Dr. Karen Walwyn joins us from Washington, D.C., where she is on faculty at Howard University. She is an Albany recording artist, a Florence Price scholar, and is the first female African-American pianist-composer to receive the Steinway Artist Award. Ms. Walwin made her New York solo piano debut at Merkin Hall following her recording series for Albany Records entitled Dark Fires, which premiered works by several African-American composers. She's received many awards for her compositions, including a Gold Medal Global Award of Excellence for her work titled Reflections on 9-11. While on faculty at Duke University, Professor Walwin composed the choral work of Dances and Struggle, a musical tribute on the life of Nelson Mandela for choir, solo piano, and African percussion. This piece was heralded by the South African Embassy in Washington, DC, as a monumental work for the beloved former South African president. As a Florence Price scholar, Dr. Walwyn remains active in the research and work towards recordings of new music by Florence Price, she was a guest artist on the documentary film, The Caged Bird, which featured Walwin as one of the pioneering soloists of the music of Florence Price. Dr. Walwyn has taken the time to join us in the KVCR studio while she's here in San Bernardino, and we are so grateful. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you. It is such a pleasure and honor to be a part of this uh, show. And it's always very exciting to have a chance to talk once again about Florence Price.
0: Well, we're thrilled to have you, and I can't wait to learn more about this remarkable woman. Uh, before we go there, can you give us a little bit about your background and your musical journey? Where are you originally from?
1: I'm originally from New York. I was born in St. Albans, Queens, and my parents moved me down to St. Croix when I was 10 or so. My father's from the West Indies. My mom was from Cumberland, Virginia, and um, we lived there for two years, and then we came stateside once again and resided in uh, Hollywood, Florida.
0: There's a Hollywood, Florida.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Hollywood, Florida. Um, Just about 30 miles south of Fort Lauderdale and about 40 miles uh, north of Miami.
0: Okay. And did you grow up mostly there or did you pop back up to New York at some point?
1: I spent high school years in Florida and then would eventually end up at University of Miami to complete my bachelor's degree. I did a um, associate's degree at Broward Community College, which is now Broward College. And then I went on to University of Miami. So I spent 10 years actually in South Florida.
0: Wow, that's great. And yay, Community College, that's wonderful. I hope it's fair to say you have dedicated what seems like much of your life and life's work to honoring this woman, Florence Price, and her art. How did you become interested in Florence Price and who was she?
1: It's an interesting journey. My very first uh, introduction to Florence Price was when I was at University of Michigan. My mentor and, at the time, uh, associate dean, Dean Willis Patterson, was the person that came up to me one day in the hall and said, do you know any music by African-American composers? Mm And I froze (laughs) because it was like, um, I want to admit that I don't. I felt like I should have. But then why would I have been familiar based on my background? And so I said, no. (laughs) so, (laughs) So he quickly took me into his studio, where he had an unbelievable, enormous amount of books and music and um, recordings of so many composers that I did not know about and um, it's not a mystery as to why I wouldn't have known because of the line of education and the demands the degree of piano performance degree a master's degree bachelor's degree have your repertoire that's set out for you and um, those composers weren't typical composers that would be on those standardized list So Florence Price was one of those recordings that I held in my hand, and um, it was of the Sonata, and it was by Othea Waits. So that was my very first time of being introduced, if you will, to Florence Price. I would then go on to pursue the um, recordings of African-American composers that mostly had not yet been recorded. And um, at the time, my goal was to record uh, composers that were living. Because it afforded me the opportunity to actually talk with them, have uh, interviews and put the interviews into the booklets, into the CD liners. And um, my very next visit with Price was in 2010 when Morris Fibs from the Center of Black Music Research would call me and ask, would I be interested in premiering the performance of the concerto? And so the performance of the concerto would also result in the recording of the concerto. And so it would be the premier recording of that concerto. That concerto at the time was orchestrated by Trevor Weston. And um, because at the time, the actual manuscript for the orchestration had not yet been discovered. And so this would be my first hands-on opportunity to experience the music of Florence Price.
0: That is so wonderful and what an amazing box she opened just exploring that and being asked that question. This is Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR. My name is Margaret Worsley and I'm talking today with Dr. Karen Walwyn, pianist, composer, and Florence Price scholar. Uh, Could you give us some insight to her backstory, Florence Price, Um, where was she from and how did her journey through music unfold?
1: that is a um a well-packed question so i'm going to try to unpack it okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh before i talk about florence price i will go back just a little bit uh earlier and um talk a bit about her parents florence irene gulliver was born in north carolina and would eventually move to Chicago. Her father, James Smith, who was born in Delaware and would eventually move to Chicago, he was a a dentist. Um, She was a musician and an educator. Um, They eventually found each other and they moved down together to uh, Little Rock. Little Rock at the time was a place where blacks could begin life especially if you had a craft or a profession. And um, Little Rock was one of the few cities where blacks could actually prosper. And so the couple would um, do very well because um, her father would have a full clientele of patients who were mostly white patients and um, therefore he was able to buy property. He bought a very beautiful home which um, uh, Florence Beatrice, the composer, uh, uh, there was a tradition of naming the first female the mother's name. And so Florence Beatrice was born into a very beautiful home where she had access to a piano that I'm not familiar with today, but I learned about it, the Ivers and Pond Grand, which I think was what we would be very happy with, you know, Steinway or... Bosendorfer. And that's the kind of uh, rich environment that she grew up in. And so her mother started her off with uh, lessons. And by the age of four, uh, Florence Beatrice was already playing her first recital.
0: So, oh my gosh, was she a child prodigy?
1: I think that's what the definition would be.
0: (laughs) Wow, I did not know that.
1: And because they lived in a beautiful home, I'm talking about a large home where they had guest rooms, they had uh, guests. And so um, very famous uh, musicians and traveling poets, scholars would travel and stay there because there were no hotels that would accommodate blacks. And so some of the the parts about that was that uh, Florence Beatrice would be exposed to many of these scholars. John Blind Boone was an example. He's a traveling concert pianist, and um, she would get to cultivate a relationship with him throughout her life. I can't imagine if I was four years old and played for concert pianists, you know, what that would have been like. I can tell you that when I was in New York, I played at a competition at the, um, the Apollo Theater. And um, anyway, I played the Bach invention in C major. Uh, Nancy Wilson was there mm-hmm. and I had I had just played in the competition and I was I was like 8 years old so I was competing with all these big tall adults <laughs> <laughs> but my point is is that afterwards she came up to me and shook my hand and and congratulated me so I still remember that to this day Mm. and so for Florence Beatrice to be able to not only play for stars in their own rights but to continue that kind of communication I imagine would have been extremely inspirational um Florence would publish her first work at age 11.
0: Oh my gosh
1: It's unknown as to where that publication is at this time. Mm -hmm. But by the time that she was uh, headed to high school, she was um, studying subjects that were really high-level achievements. Algebra, Latin, Greek, uh, history, physics. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then on the other hand, cooking, sewing, painting, knitting, crocheting. (laughs) Because her mom wanted to make sure that she was completely independent. Her mother was a business person as well, and so her mother's influence was quite magnificent in how she brought her daughter up. And jumping ahead a little bit, it comes back, because when reading some of the letters that Florence would write to different publishers and conductors, what a strong woman. What a strong woman. And She was her own agent in the midst of all of the circumstances that she would find herself in, but she still had the presence of mind to um, continuously pursue her career as a composer and as a performer. She graduated from high school at the age of 14. Whoa. As valedictorian.
0: Oh my gosh. So... Did she go on to a conservatory? Did she do university? What, what did she do after high school?
1: So um, 14 was too young for her parents to send her away. So at 16, she would go to uh, the New England Conservatory. She would pursue not one but two degrees. She pursued both uh, studies in uh, piano and in organ. And she finished inside of three years. <laughs> and she was the first person to complete both degrees let alone the first African-American to complete both degrees. Mm. So her time at New England Conservatory was quite an interesting moment in uh, stepping back, looking at the history. It was at this time that her mother was becoming more and more protective of her. And by that I mean trying to hide her heritage. Mm. Because Florence Beatrice complexion, her skin could allow her should she have chosen to pass as other, maybe Hispanic and maybe in some locations across the United States as white. Her mother actually would have her daughter's address appear as Pueblo, Mexico on programs when she was at New England Conservatory. Mm-hmm. Her mother paid to have her live off campus and live in a private location so that she was protected from any possible violence or racial atrocities that could come towards her because of the color of her skin. When she did graduate, Florence did move back to Little Rock, and um, this is when Color really starts to show itself as a more and more ongoing and concerning, life-stopping issue.
0: You're listening to Musically Speaking on 919 KVCR. My name is Margaret Worsley, and I'm talking today with Dr. Karen Walwyn. It really is um, the elephant in the room um, talking about her experience of a woman of color during an extremely volatile time in America and um passing trying to pass you know saying she's from pueblo mexico that's that's really profound and um disturbing but seemingly important that her mother would be protective in that sense i'm assuming that her music was also repressed because she was a black woman
1: so this is a a good point to talk about a couple of things happening at this time because of the Jim Crow laws that were starting to affect the community, her father would no longer be able to have his white clients come to the dental practice. And so he eventually would lose his practice, his money, because, unfortunately, blacks didn't have that kind of access to finances because there were so many restrictions that took place. Um, A lot of blacks lost their property. In fact, Florence's mother would lose property that she had purchased, you know, rightfully with her own money. Mm -hmm. By the time that Florence Beatrice's father would pass, he was penniless. And this was just a few years after Florence Beatrice would return home from New England Conservatory. And so at the time of his passing, it was within a year that her mother would eventually sell off the rest of her assets, And she made a very harsh decision. She left and she went back to Indianapolis and she slipped into white society. Mm. And I don't have any records of any communication from her mother to her daughter since. There was a son. Florence Beatrice had a brother who remains unknown. Um, apparently probably slipped into white society as well Mm -hmm. and the reason that there are so few pictures of Florence Beatrice's young life is because her mother burned everything that would leave a trace that would indicate that she may be black Mm -hmm. so where does one go from that that point
0: I don't know that's um, that's so disturbing on so many levels
1: so, what Florence did do, she decided to take a job in Atlanta. She had been teaching, she had a couple of teaching jobs. At 19, she taught at Cotton Plant Arkadelphia Academy in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. And at 20, she taught at Shorter College in Argenta, which was then, or now, as we know as North Little Rock, where, by the way, tuition was $1, And boarding was six dollars whoa so she decided to go down to Atlanta to escape some of the atrocities that were occurring in Little Rock but what made it difficult even in Atlanta was that um, teaching there in of itself was not the concern as much as the growing environment as a black woman or as a black person and so W.E.B. Du Bois was leaving as she was coming to Atlanta to teach and um, his description of how people were treated for example she would take the train uh, back and forth to Little Rock and she would have to ride in the colored section and inside of the colored section, maybe that's the, the car that is not under the covering at the train stations. And so they're exposed to the elements of the weather. Um, the way that the conductor would respect non-blacks was very different to the way that he would communicate with black passengers and to the point where Um, Passengers were given information that was incorrect, forcing uh, black passengers to lose their money or to be guided in the wrong way on purpose. It was these kinds of indignities that would happen throughout every day, throughout every hour. And so eventually Florence decided that she did not any longer want to remain in Atlanta, so she returned to Little Rock. So it was at this time that she would get married. She had apparently been dating this lawyer, Thomas Price. He got his law degree from Howard University in 1906. He remained downtown D.C. for a couple of years, and he became associated with the upper echelons in the black community. It's interesting to think about this because if you're in this particular society, you then move in certain circles. So you're going to certain concerts, classical music, art, literature. You're also aware of the fact that you don't want to be laughed at or gawked at from some white communities that would demean the black that is trying to elevate themselves. And so he would eventually come to Little Rock where he would join forces with a lawyer who was a very successful black lawyer in Little Rock. He, he was also the office that would win the case for the Elaine massacres, race riots. Just after then is when um, Price and Florence Smith would marry.
0: You're listening to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR. My name is Margaret Worsley, and I'm talking today with Dr. Karen Walwin. Here is Karen Walwyn playing with the New Black Music Repertory Ensemble, conducted by Leslie B. Dunner. to take a quick break. You're listening to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Margaret Worsley. We'll be right back. Support for KVCR comes from Inland Empire magazine, a source of current events for the Inland Empire. Inland Empire magazine is available at newsstands and online at InlandEmpireMagazine.com. to Musically Speaking on 91.9 KVCR. My name is Margaret Worsley and I'm talking today with Dr. Karen Walwyn. Karen is a pianist, composer, and Florence Price scholar. I read that the music of Florence Price, um, well rather, she, she premiered, I think, in Chicago at the World's Fair in 1933. Was that her national debut in Chicago?
1: That's correct. Um, her symphony would win the um, Rodman Wanamaker Composition Competition in 1932, and then one year later, that was the premier performance. And that it got
0: to be played by the Chicago Symphony.
1: That's right, and that's how she would she would uh, begin her career and would become recognized as the first female African-American composer to be have a performance by a National Symphony Orchestra.
0: Mm, just incredible. The music of Ms. Price is so gorgeous and sounds kind of like an amalgamation of swooning, romantic melodies um, and heartfelt African-inspired components. Are there specific composers we can hear within her music?
1: Yes. What is interesting about Florence Price is that she always embraced her African-American heritage. Mm -hmm. And... um, inspired by George Chadwick from NEC, and furthermore, inspired by Dvorak, especially with his principle of incorporating and employing the indigenous writings, the African-American writings, um, take use, make use of of what you have. And um, so in every work, you will hear a combination of spirituals, maybe some modification of Ragtime, Juba, Cakewalk. But you'll also hear the lyricism of Schumann. You'll hear the romanticism of Chopin. You'll hear the motivic writings of Beethoven. Uh, You'll hear the flashy, dexterity-driven passages of Liszt. You'll hear the chromaticisms of Rachmaninoff and the impressionisms of Debussy and Ravel, all wrapped up inside of a single work.
0: It's mm, incredible. I was listening to you play the slow section of the concerto, which features a lovely extended oboe solo, and there was one part that struck me as similar to Ravel's piano concerto. His, his slow movement features an English horn solo, but it wasn't It wasn't the instrumentation. Um, It was these cascading arpeggios up and down the piano in tandem with the oboe that were so similar. I I had to look it up to see which was written first. Was it Ravel's Concerto or Prices? And it turns out it was Ravel's, but I can't help but think that maybe she heard it in one of its American premieres or possibly studied it. Do you know which section I'm talking about? Um, Or is this a conspiracy? I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I do know that... um... She, Ravel, um, Prokofiev, Gershwin, they were all contemporaries. And so it is very possible that uh, certain circles that she may have been traveling in would have afforded her the opportunity to hear this music and feel inspired.
0: Yeah, to be a fly on the wall and see that happening. Yes. Amazing. I love Bernstein's version of it too, um, where he's conducting and playing at the piano. Do you ever conduct ensembles from the piano?
1: I have conducted choirs but not um uh instrumental ensembles yet.
0: Yet to be (laughs) continued. (laughs) You have clearly been inspired by the life and music of Florence Price. Are there others she may have inspired or motivated as an African-American female composer?
1: Well um humbly speaking I will say that I was personally inspired by her um and I recall some of the first moments when I started to think about composition and one of the first things I said was, well, there was Florence Price. (laughs) And so um, there are um, composers that we may be familiar with that I I would believe that were also inspired by her. Most available to us all, Margaret Bonds, um, who would actually be the pianist to play the solo of the concerto on many occasions. Um, but um, other composers such as Tanya Leon, um, Cuban-born African-American composer, um, recently winning a Pulitzer. Um, other composers that I have had the opportunity to learn the music of, Letty Beck and Austin, so many female uh, African-American composers that... Um, I believe would have a moment uh, similar to mine, you know, um, in one of uh, six letters that Florence Price would write to the composer Sergei Kuczewski back in um, the early 1940s. In the pursuance of having her work reviewed by the conductor, if you don't mind I'd like to read just a little bit yeah, please. This is after a couple of letters. She wrote, My dear Dr. Kuczewicki, to begin with, I have two handicaps, those of sex and race. I am a woman, and I have some Negro blood in my veins. Knowing the worst, then, would you be good enough to hold in check the possible inclination to regard a woman's composition as long on emotionalism, but short on virility and thought content until you shall have examined some of my work. She writes again, because she didn't have any response. Mm. Dear Dr. Kutzevitsky, unfortunately, the work of a woman composer is preconceived by many to be light, frothy, lacking in depth, logic, virility. Add to that the incident of race. I have colored blood in my veins, and you will understand some of the difficulties that confront one in such a position. And it goes on. She would write six times, and unfortunately, her work was never performed. Uh, it was one of her desires to have her work reviewed and performed on the East Coast, as well as it had been doing in Chicago. Mm-hmm. This
0: Is such an inspiring and empowering story of perseverance uh, and staying true to one's authentic self. She's arguably more relevant and more important today than ever, and to think her music was lost is heartbreaking, or almost lost. Some of it is. What's the story with the discovery of some of her repertoire more than 50 years after her death?
1: So, around the time of the recording of the um, concerto back in 2010, It had just been discovered that more than half of her output was finally found in a home in Kankakee, Illinois, which was, turns out, her summer home, which had been abandoned for decades. And so the couple that would purchase the home came across the music and once realizing, not necessarily understanding the importance of the music but realizing that it it, it originated in Little Rock, um, eventually the music would would get to the um, Special Collections at University of Arkansas. And so what's amazing is that this music had survived the environment of a home that had been completely destroyed, well probably not completely because they found a reason to buy it, but um, definitely uh, Tremendous destruction, with roof having been uh, caved in from a tree that fell. Um, Weather, animals that had taken home, (laughs) inside of the home. And, you know, uh, a lot of the music had been scattered all over the place. And so there's a, a huge bulk of the music that is still yet to be restored. And so it's estimated that close to 400 works that she has completed. Editor Dr. Michael Cooper is someone that I refer to with the um, scores of the piano works, and he himself has completed, I think, over 60 works. I think it's close to 80. Wow. uh, For a piano alone. Just slowly working on reviving those. And what's so uh, amazing is that here we have this music that was lost for so long. And it's so beautiful. (laughs) And in spite of the many challenges, because I have mentioned one fourth, but there are other things that would happen in her life that you have to sit back and scratch your head. How did she write this music? Um, You know, I have to go back to the incidents that would prompt her and her family to relocate Mm. from Little Rock uh, to Chicago. So um, in 1926, 27, as I had mentioned, Jim Crow laws were beginning to take a much more devastating effect in the personal lives of blacks. Mm. And um, she herself was actually uh, going up to Chicago to study composition in the summertime. So in 28, there was an unfortunate, uh, tragic event, which was the um, lynching of John Carter, an innocent black man that was taken. Um, the incident itself was quite awful. Um, long story short, his body, which had received over a hundred bullets from a mob, of over 500 men uh, would bring his body to the location just in front of the AME uh, church, which was across the street from where Florence Price's husband's law practice stood Mm. and which was adjacent to the Mosaic Templars, which was um, a building that was built by Mr. John Bush, who would um, have it honor the history and culture of african-americans in little rock in arkansas and so john Carter's body hung was hung on a light post at this intersection and eventually his body was burned Mm. and so that would subsequently lead to one other incident which was I, i don't even know how to say these words but um there was an incident that a white boy was killed Um, I don't know if there was any validation to who's responsible for the killing but what was a fact was that in retaliation a child, the daughter of a prominent black family would be killed Mm. and so because Florence Price and her husband were one of those prominent families with a daughter she immediately took her daughters and moved to Chicago, and her husband would join later. How does one write? She started getting her works in comp- the composition competitions and, and performances. You know, winning the, the this amazing competition leading to her international performance of the symphony. Um, the writing of the concerto happened almost within a couple of years after this. That's usually something that would almost stop one's life Mm -hmm. altogether. And yet she prevailed. So this, this story in with this magnificent talent speaks of strength. You know, you think about the legacy of Florence Price, it's of strength, character, that independence that her mother taught her way back in the beginning. Um, that kept her just walking forward.
0: Totally inspiring. Um, We usually finish up these interviews with a couple of rapid-fire questions on the show. Would you be willing to jump in with a word or two on these questions? Of course. Okay. Um, So this is KVCR, where you learn something new every day. Can I ask what you're learning right now, whether that's a score, a foreign language, Maybe training a pet. <laughs> what are you <laughs> learning
1: these days? Oh, let's see. Um, so off the top of my head, I am learning about... Um, okay, so it's supposed to be rapid. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm learning about how to write for an orchestra.
0: Oh, great. Because I have a
1: premiere, uh, my first, my very first orchestra work commission, Overture.
0: Fantastic. I can't wait to hear it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who inspires you, a musician or non?
1: Um, I have a couple of sources of inspiration. Florence Price is one of them. Um, sometimes when I feel like, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right way? Do I have what it takes? And I think about her story. And I think um, I am motivated more when I think about it. My mom has been a source of inspiration. And her music, though she was not a studied musician, her mother, I believe, was um, a musician. And I say I believe because there was a pump organ in the house, in my grandma's house. And I never saw her play. But I eventually would inherit the organ, and I found a lot of her music with her name on it and my grandmother's aunt's name on it. Huh. And so I have to say, the pump organ is goes back to like the late 1800s, and um, that would match about the time that my mom's great aunt would have been living. So I'm inspired by the fact that there's music in in my in my blood, and along with my father, who um, he had uh, casual lessons in piano studied trumpet a little bit when he was growing up. And so, when I am practicing and wondering if I'll ever get this passage right, <laughs> I think about I think about both all three actually. It connects
0: that music, connects those generations. It's really cool.
1: One of my other sources of inspiration is a very lovely lady named Dr. Ray Linda Brown. I got a chance to know her a little bit when we were both at University of Michigan. At the time, I did know that she was writing on Florence Price, but I had no idea the enormous project that she took on. The book that she wrote, The Heart of a Woman The Life and Music of Florence B. Price, was completed. Unfortunately, she passed before the actual full completion, and so. She had uh, it edited, and the foreword was written by Dr. Guthrie Ramsey, also another uh, friend of mine from University of Michigan. This book supplies so much wonderful information, history, research. And without this, I would not have been able to really get to know such intimate details of her life. And getting to know her life and myself traveling to Arkansas visiting the grounds where she lived most of the homes are no longer standing but just to stand on the same street and go to the schools where she went to help me develop a sense of what she's saying in her music and so it's always exciting to revisit her works because there's There's so much more about her that I see and hear every day when I'm learning her music. So without this book, I would not have grown as I believe I have and and hope to continue to.
0: Well, I can't wait to read it and we'll have to put a a link to the book on our website.
1: Absolutely. That would be wonderful.
0: Uh, For our friends who don't necessarily listen to a whole lot of classical music, but are interested in getting into it, where would be a good place to start? A good question.
1: Uh, if you have pets, for example, um, I started this little project, uh, classical music for pets. <laughs> so maybe get your pet one of the CDs. Um, no, I'm not trying to promote my my little sidekick, but um... well,
0: I was going to ask you because you're an incredibly accomplished <laughs> pianist, composer, and professor, and I know you're very busy as a professional. But what is Allegro
1: Paws? P A W S. <laughs> So my dog, uh, who is in doggy heaven now, Miles, German Shepherd, he used to listen to me practice. And um, one day, for whatever reason, I decided to sing, and he got up, and he came over, <laughs> smelled my breath, <laughs> and walked away. Oh, Miles! He walked all the way out to the all the way to the other side of the room and went out. And uh, there's a little foyer out there, and so I said, "I know I sound bad. I didn't know I sounded that bad." And so uh, I decided to not sing anymore, and I, I started playing some Schumann. And he came back in. Aww. He didn't. I didn't say anything to him, and that's when I started to realize he's listening. So I, in his memory, started to put together a collection of works, little chi- uh, tiny. You know, 30-second, 60-second works that, after doing some research, I learned that um, pets are soothed by this music.
0: Wow, really?
1: And there's, there's a lot of research there, as well as little kids being soothed by this music, soothed and uh, increases their focus and concentration. So I have uh, classical music for children as well, and so sometimes I give it to the adults and they're like, oh, I like this. <laughs> Whether it's for the kids or not, I'm going to listen to it. Everybody wins. So I think if you are a person that is looking for something that is calming, um, maybe start with um, short pieces by Bach. Um, if you're looking for something that's a little bit more romantic, I would say maybe listen to some of the Chopin preludes. Um, if you're someone that is... Really into uh, complexities in life, (laughs) and you want a real challenge, dive into some Mahler symphonies. (laughs) Yeah. But don't start there.
0: Yeah. Good advice. Those are wonderful, wonderful suggestions. I'm just thinking, I think there's like a German approach to farming where they play classical music for the animals. That and makes I, sense. Yeah, I remember going <laughs> to one because these cows would produce more milk and the cows' names were Bella and Bartok. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um, okay, what's your favorite thing to
1: cook? My favorite thing to cook these days, my cousin's husband, whose name is Calvin, He gave me a recipe, and so the recipe is for these waffles. Mm -hmm. And so because I wrote down Calvin's waffles, Uh so I called him the other day and I said, yeah, I made your waffles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So make them by scratch?
1: Yes. Wow. Yes.
0: It sounds complicated.
1: Including coconut flour, some blueberries, strawberries, uh, whole wheat flour, and some other little things that probably... You won't find it at uh, your international house of waffles or pancakes.
0: Oh, that sounds so good! <laughs> all right, do you have a favorite rock band or hip hop group?
1: Well, I'm an old school, so Earth, Wind, and Fire is my favorite. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know, they you have to come out to LA more often or California, Southern California, they perform out here all the time.
1: I would love to, <laughs> absolutely, because um, Reasons was my favorite song and. I remember when I was in a certain grade, <laughs> uh-huh. and I was uh, dancing, two reasons, and unfortunately it was my first and last dance because my father walked in, and um, needless to say, I was never at a party again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, <laughs> For maybe a few reasons. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Karen Walwin, it has been an honor and a joy talking with you today. Thank you so very much.
1: Thank you. Every time I get a chance to talk about Florence Price, I learn something more, and it just continues to be a, an amazing source of inspiration. She is a, an amazing figure and um, historic figure, and um, I hope that her music will bring a sense of unity to our country and to the world. That's what I find in her music every time I play.
0: Well, if I may add that I think we are all seeing the same thing in you.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so
0: much. Thank you. We've been chatting with Dr. Karen Walwyn about the Florence Price Piano Concerto in One Movement. Let's hear some of it now. Thanks for joining me for this month's show. This album, along with Karen's original compositions and performances, are available on her website, karenwalwin.com. We'll include links when we post this program to our website on kvcrnews.org forward slash speaking. And I do hope you'll join us next month on the fourth Saturday and following Monday for our next episode of Musically Speaking. I'm Margaret Worsley. Thanks for listening.